Now it's time for the Word of God. And one of our favorite preachers all time is Pastor Ed Nelson. He's been an Assembly of God fixture for many years in the missions department and in many different ways. I won't take up his time by listing a bunch of things. Ed, we're glad you're here. We're so glad that you have a word for us. Come on up. Let's welcome you. Thank you, Pastor Ross. Thank you, Pastor Ron Denham. Thank you, for, and thank you, missionary Fred Kovash. Thank you for what you do. I remember um, back in the 1990s, before Fred was a missionary, meeting him and his wife Crystal here uh, in this city and talking to them about exploring the possibility of world missions and to see what the Lord has wrought, what he has done in such a short period of time, 25 years, through your lives together, your family, and through the work of God. It is so good to have Pastor Andrew Ross healthy again. He has had his bout with the virus and is an overcomer. And we praise the Lord for that. I want to speak to you today on what we traditionally call the Lord's Prayer as Yeshua, as Jesus taught his apprentices, his disciples to pray. Most of you, if not all of you, and those in our viewing audience that are online today, most of you have memorized this prayer, at least you've heard it at different occasions. In fact, we could all pray it here today, almost in unison, without halting, in this particular uh, audience, because we all know that prayer so well. The prayers regularly prayed from generation to generation, from nation to nation. Since it was written in Matthew's Gospel, in the first century of our Lord. Rather than being called the Lord's Prayer, it is better titled the Disciples' Prayer or the Apprentice's Prayer, the Student's Prayer. It wasn't necessarily Yeshua's or Jesus' prayer at all. He was teaching his disciples how to pray. And that being, in a particular way, the biblical way to pray. So the prayer is part of a larger teaching in Matthew's Gospel on the subject of prayer. For our purpose today, we will read Yeshua's or Jesus' full teaching on prayer as found in Matthew's Gospel to give us the proper context for this prayer. And so it's this way. He said, Yeshua said to his apprentices, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. Now that's a classification of a certain group of Pharisees. There were seven different categories of Pharisees that the Pharisees themselves self-described. And one of them was a group, a class of them 
that were noted for acting, acting out their faith, acting out their uh, confession to be seen. And they were the ones that were called the actors or the hypocrites. And they were not the majority of the Pharisees. They were, in fact, a minority of them. They would paint their faces with with ashes and and would fast with the, these faces drawn down and, and they'd pray with the long garments so they would look like they are the ones that are so spiritual. I've met people like that that were not Pharisees, were not the hypocritical group of them. But so it says, when you pray, don't pray like them. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. In verse 6 it says, but when you pray, this is where the teaching comes in, but when you pray, go into your inner room. You could call it the closet in our houses today. It's simply a place where you're not on view by others. Close your door and pray to your father, who is in secret, and your Father who sees that what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. That's the context for the disciples' prayer. And pray this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, sanctified, hallowed, be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, and the phrase here in our English Bible is our daily bread. From the Greek, it's only one word, and that one word is not translatable because there's no other Greek words known to translate it from. And so it's a guess. And so it was some who said it means daily bread, and, that, and we'll go with that. But it also can be read and translated the bread of heaven. It can also be translated the bread that comes down from above. Again, it can be translated the bread that comes today for tomorrow. Like the double portion of manna that was given to Israel in the desert on Friday preceding the Sabbath day so that they would not gather manna on the Sabbath. So you get a double portion. And some say that this is actually the meaning, the text here. It's give us the double portion of bread today, for it is Friday, for Sabbath is coming. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation. It can be translated as testing. But I'm going to go with the word temptation. But we've got to remember that God does not tempt us. It is not Him that tempts us. We're tempted from some other source. We'll discuss that. 
So do not lead us into temptation. And I like to read it this way. And you do not lead us into temptation, but you deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And then this commentary on prayer. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That was the message that Yeshua was delivering, Jesus was delivering there about forgiveness, the power of forgiveness. And he was teaching his disciples to pray about how to forgive. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. That's an awesome statement. What we first discover is that the book, that the prayer in this book of Matthew is Jewish. Very Jewish. Entirely Jewish. Without parallel in the Gentile world. It has no roots in philosophy. No roots outside of the Jewish world cannot be understood properly unless you read it with Jewish eyes. Yeshua is plain to say that the prayer is not at all about Gentiles, that is those of the nations. And we are today, and you who are watching, are primarily those of the nations. Where most of us are non-Jews. But it's teaching us something even if we're Gentiles. Even if we're among the nations, how we ought to change the pattern and the behavior in our prayer style. What we actually ought to pray. So we can learn from this Jewish prayer that Yeshua taught his Jewish apprentices. Yeshua warns his apprentices, in fact, not to pray like Gentiles pray, who are given to frequent repetition of phrases with many words, which he says in the Father's ears are meaningless. Gentiles, he said, believe that they're longer, the longer the prayer, the louder the prayer, the wordier the prayer, the more prayer becomes efficacious, that it gets favorable results from God's throne. That is a tendency of the nations. It is endemic inside of us who are of the nations to want to pray loud and to pray long and, and use many words and be descriptive as we can be. And the challenge for us who are of the nations is how do we make our prayers shorter but more profound? The volume and the amplitude of words prayed do not impress our Heavenly Father at all. This reminds us of the teacher who said in the first two verses of chapter 5 of the book of Ecclesiastes, and I, this, is, uh, this is one, uh, a couple of verses that jarred me many, many years ago. It jarred me about my prayer habits, the way I approached the Lord. Here's what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, the first two verses. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen. 
rather than to offer the sacrifice of idols. For you do not know, they, they do not know they are doing evil. Let me define evil for you for just a moment. We think of evil as the worst sort of people. Evil does not mean that in Hebrew. And this is a Hebrew Bible. It's a Hebrew text. Evil means that which tears down something. That brings it, from, stops it from growing and developing and begins to tear it down. To ridicule it, to humiliate it, to make it less than what it is. Evil is simply an act to lower someone's self-esteem and sense of self-worth. That's what's evil in the world. And so, when we read this in Ecclesiastes, it says, they do not know they're doing evil by, uh, when, they, when they offer the sacrifice of idols, which is with many words. Do not be hasty, the teacher says, in word or impulsive in thought to bring, to, in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. In other words, don't bring spontaneous thoughts that are not thought through. Pray intentionally and pray deliberately. Pray with forethought. Because you are speaking to the creator of the universe. And he deserves our thoughts. He is the one that gave us the brains we have. The minds we have in order to address him using our brains, using our minds, using our emotions, using all that we are in order to give him praise properly and the glory. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in your thoughts. And again, I remind you, listening in prayer is preferred to speaking in prayer. I try to, and I learned this many, many years ago, try to make sure when I'm praying that more than half the time I'm listening instead of speaking. It's amazing. Matter of fact, my Prayer life over my lifetime has been shaped and reshaped to the point where I listen now far, far more than I speak. After all, what do I really have to say to the one who is the word that transforms life? Not that we should not use words. We should, but be thoughtful, calculated, deliberate, and I find it easiest to just pray the word back to our Father, for He is the living word. So our first takeaway is that, is, is, um, that we should not follow the models of prayer as prayed by non-Jews, who approach prayer for the purpose to influence God to their will. But to invoke, and they use lofty words to invoke that. The proper way to pray Yeshua says, is to pray without an audience that can hear you. What will your prayer be like when no one else hears you? What will your praise be like 
when no one's around to hear that you praise the Lord? What does it sound like? What characterizes it? Pray only in God's presence. Now, it doesn't mean we can't come together and have corporate prayer. He's not talking about that. You go to the synagogue, you'll hear corporate prayer, just as you do in churches. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a personal relationship with God, which is spiritual at the heart and not about self-flattery. So you go to a room, to your inner room, to your closet, or to the place that there is no audience. And you pray there because when you pray there, nobody can hear you. It's in secret. Then in that place, our Father is present to hear you when you pray. Whatever you have come to believe about prayer, according to Yeshua, prayer according to Jesus, our Father prefers carefully chosen, thoughtful words, few in number and full of profound thought that reflect biblical themes like forgiveness. When Yeshua taught his disciples, his apprentices this prayer, he had an overarching theme to teach them about forgiveness. So he uses this prayer for that purpose while he covers a multitude of other thoughtful subjects. Our Father who's in heaven refers to God the creator of heaven and earth. It's very biblical. You see, every word chosen in this prayer has a biblical theme to it. It's right out of the Hebrew Bible from Genesis to the last book of the Hebrew Bible. Every word, every thought is crafted around the themes that are expressed in the Word of God. That's why I said, said earlier, when I pray, I find myself praying back to God the Word, the Word of God. We're not going to deal with all of them, all these words today, because they're, every one of them is crafted thoughtfully and it would take us a a week at a time to cover just one phrase. And then we would not do, do service. So we're going to not deal with all that. But today, well, we know the overarching theme is about forgiveness in the way Yeshua was using this prayer in Matthew. Today, our, our laser focus is on the sentence in the disciples' prayer, and you do not lead us into temptation, but you deliver us from evil. What evil? What evil is he talking about? Some say that the evil intended here is Satan, the devil. Is that what he says? Matter of fact, one of our favorite uh, American translations is the New International Version. And when you read it in the New, Inter the New International Version, it says, deliver us from the evil one, which hones it in on Satan. The prayer does not say this. 
The issue is not Satan. The issue is how we relate to people where we can exercise the power of forgiveness. It's not about Satan here. Some say it is the general idea of evil that's on display throughout the world. And certainly today, as in every generation, we have seen the manifestation of evil in the highest places and the lowest places of society. Today is no exception to that. I just believe it's worse than it's been. But so in this meaning, the general idea of evil, that which tears down, ruins, brings destruction, brings harm and damage. In this case, it would be the evil outside of us if we mean the general application of all evil about us. Deliver us from that. Certainly, we've been in places where evil was so bad around us the evil outside of us, that we needed shelter from the storm. And we pray for that deliverance. And the Lord hears our prayer. But I want to bring this home to what the most plausible meaning intended by the Lord Yeshua, the Lord Jesus, when he taught his apprentices to pray. He used the evil in the world as a backdrop for something with, he had a, a laser focus on something with evil in the background, the exterior part, to something internal within the human heart. The prophet Jeremiah brings it home when he said in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 8, what is now so such a famous line. He says, the heart, the human heart, the human heart is more deceitful than anything else than the evil about us or Satan himself. That is staggering to think about. The human heart is more deceitful than anything else. And the human heart, the in, inner person, the inner being is more desperately sick than that which is sick outside of us. Yeshua, Jesus, is addressing that evil and that we need deliverance from ourselves. We talk about deliverance from external evils but the prayer he taught us was to pray the prayer of self-deliverance. The deliverance from your minds, evil ways and thoughts and imaginations. Deliverance from your emotions and those feelings that would hurt and harm and destroy. The Bible calls this evil that lies within human nature as, and I'm going to use it in English first, the evil urge, or the evil inclination, or the evil tendency of the human heart. If you wish to know the Hebrew, what the Hebrew Bible term is, it is yetzer hara. And I would like for you to know that word. That's two words, yetzer, 
Y-E-T-Z-E-R. Hara, H-A-R-A. I'd like for you to know that. Ra means evil. The Ha means the evil. So Yetzer means inclination, the tendency, the gravity of the heart to a certain direction. So when you speak of Yetzer Ra, you're speaking of the basic human condition. Since sin came into the world. And it appears in the Bible, the earliest it appears in the Bible is three chapters past where Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Something happened inside the heart when they rebelled against God. Something transformative in a negative sense occurred within the human mind, the human way of reasoning, the human way of thinking and feeling. Most of all, in the human way of acting. And here's what it says in chapter 6, verse 5. Just three chapters after Adam and Eve eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, three chapters later, the world is in calamity. It has come to chaos. There is not reasonable people anymore. Everybody reasons by their feelings. Everybody reasons by how they, not by how they think, they reason by how they feel. The most dangerous precipice of humanity occurs when we think with our feelings. And this is precisely what Yetzir Hara means. We change from thinking with our brains, from thinking with our minds, with, with thinking with the counsel of God. We turn to thinking how we would do it if we are in charge. Yetzer hara, the evil inclination of the human heart that Jeremiah talks about, that Yeshua is referring to in the Lord's Prayer or the Princess Prayer. The Yetzer hara means evil inclination, evil urge, evil tendency. It is the common denominator of the human condition as it was before the flood and remains so today. Mankind's reputation did not just begin yesterday. Mankind's reputation to do evil began a long, long, long way ago. It wasn't interested in Intended to be this way. That's not God's plan originally, but he was prepared for it in the event that the human heart ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, the human heart is confused. In the human heart, we have the tendency towards good, called the Yetzer Tov. We also have the tendency to evil. Which one's strongest? Whichever one is strongest is the one you choose. You, when you have the knowledge of good and the knowledge of evil, that means you are destined to make decisions every day as to the one, the inclination to do good, or to the other, the inclination to do evil. You have a choice. 
Evil is a choice. Good is a choice. The coming of the Lord is compared to the days of Noah. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. We can learn by going back to see what happened to human nature. Where it it sided with evil acts, evil emotions, evil thoughts, inclinations of the heart. If we could look at that and study those chapters from chapter 3 of Genesis to chapter 8 of Genesis, you'll see the story of mankind wrapped up in the first age. And now the second age, much longer that we're part of, is wrapping up as well with a tendency towards evil in everything we act and say and do. We're programmed by every structure of society and institutions to do evil, to think evil of one another. Though Adam and Eve sinned, they still had the knowledge of good and evil. Don't forget that. They didn't have just the knowledge of evil. They still retained within them a conscience to choose to do right or wrong. This is the nature of the tree from which they ate. It was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Today, they... um, they could choose how to behave. They could exercise what we call self-control. One of the first fruits, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. But before I read it to you, let me read to you what is not the fruit of the Spirit. In just that paragraph above, chapter 5 of Galatians, the acts of the sinful nature the acts of the Yetzer Hara, the acts of the bit nature to do what's wrong. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Aren't they obvious to you what they are? Sexual immorality. Do we need a commentary on that for our generation? Do we recognize it? Are, are you aware of it? Sure. Impurity and debauchery. Do we need to do anything more than watch HBO? Or the news? Idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred. Our nation is bent on hate. We hear it every day. You cannot turn on the news channel without hearing the word hate. You hear it much, much more than you hear the word good. Our politics are the politics of hate. Our worldview is shaped by it, the drumbeat of hatred. Discord. Hatred, then discord. Well, when you have hatred, you're going to have discord, aren't you? Jealousy, yep, because somebody's getting more attention than you are. Fits of rage. Don't we have enough of that? It's terrible. The news is full of it. 
You can't even watch a decent news report without people arguing. But there's no such thing as a decent news report anymore. I used to see them when I was young, but I haven't seen them in years. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, Paul says, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. What's the disciples' prayer about? Father, your kingdom come. What does that require of us but, but to move away from the spirit of this age and the deceit of this world and the evil intentions of every human heart and move towards God as the center of our lives. But here's what I want to read to you. Chapter 5 of Galatians verse 22. But the fruit, now think about fruit. Trees bear fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit of God, is love. Now, some think there's several fruits here listed, but it's a, the Bible says fruit, singular. So the way you're going to read this, you put a colon right next to the, past the word love, a colon, you know, two dots. And then the rest is the definition of love. Okay? The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the fruit. And, the, and it is manifested this way. Joy. My oldest grandson just got married a month ago. He's enjoying the fruit of joy. And she is too, seems to be. Peace. Shalom. Patience. Something we lack with people. When you hate people, you argue with people, you have no patience for them. Kindness. And that word actually is the word kesed in Hebrew. It means loving kindness. Acts of kindness towards one another. Goodness. Faithfulness. Well, that's a word we can underline. Being faithful to one another. Gentleness. Ooh. Fruit of the Spirit, manifested by love, is gentle. And self-control. Self-control, wow. And that's what I'm talking about when I come back to the subject of deliver us from evil, deliver us from ourselves, that we begin to exercise self-control in our thoughts and our Feelings so that our result is a behavior pleasing to God. You know something? Some people say, I can't help it. The devil made me do it. That's not going to cut it with God because what is inside of you is greater. If you are in the Lord, he who is greater in you is greater than Satan. Therefore, he has no argument in your life, no case to present. It cannot be your excuse. So there's something greater in you, you see, greater in me, something greater than the power and the influence of Satan. And there's only one of them, and he's so busy that he doesn't have time for us anyway. There's only one of them. It can only be one place at a time. 
Where is he? I don't know, but he's not here. And if he is here, the Bible says, resist the devil. He'll flee from you. That's pretty good, right? So the problem you see is not Satan. The problem is inside of us. The problem is the person you look at in the mirror. You remember Jeremiah the prophet? The heart is deceitful, desperately sick, more than anything else. It's us that are the heart of the problem. We can't fix it with politics. We can't help. We can't fix it with uh, 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 with new systems. We can have revolution after revolution, but I will tell you, every revolution I've known historically has always failed sometime down the road. No revolution is permanent. I think revolutions serve a good purpose to overturn things that are evil. But the thing is, it's evil people overturning evil systems. And what is the result but another evil system run by, again, evil people? The solution is not in this world, I'm telling you. It's extraterrestrial. It's out of this world. The solution is not within us. The problem was within us. Self-control. It's part of the problems. We live in a world where people are treated like objects, like things, dehumanized. The spirit of evil is to dehumanize your neighbor. Think about that. What is the commandment of God? Love your neighbor. The spirit of evil is to dehumanize your neighbor. How do you do that? You call them names. What does a name do? It makes them less than who they are by their true identity. I have seen children raised by parents that would call those children stupid. Ignoramuses. And names that were far, were far worse. And watch them become teenagers. And then watch them get into their 20s and get married and, and, and repeat the same issues in their children. I've lived long enough to see that happen generationally because they were demeaned dehumanized even by their parents they were unable to contend with life fairly as they should have been allowed to do if they had been properly taught the word of God not in a mean way not in a hostile way not in a hammering way but in a loving way for the fruit of the spirit is love and parents that love children will have loving children parents that have hate for their children will have hateful children It's just the way it is. In our culture, as in others, tearing down someone for the sake of another's advantage is popular sport. It's like gossip on steroids. Since we're talking about prayer, I, just last week, became aware of someone going to another person with a so-called prayer request. Well, this is good under wholesome circumstances. This time the intent was to ask for prayer in such a manner it would cause distrust, disrespect, and suspicion of another. The damage was done. By the time I heard about it, 
the damage was already done. It had already painted a picture in the mind of the person that was being asked to pray about the attitude of another person. Who's in the wrong? Maybe everybody is because the heart's deceitful. But it wasn't right. Even in the guise of a prayer request. What is it about human nature that makes us this way? Why do we commit evil acts or show bad behavior even in the name of God? Well, there's an answer. Walk not after the flesh. Walk not after the human heart. But walk in the Spirit of God. That's the answer. It's part of the answer. Some theories on behavior suggest three steps are taken to wrong behavior. First, we have the thought. You've got to think it before you feel it, before you do it. The second step is feeling it. If you have a thought long enough and you work on it long enough, you'll have feelings about it. Your emotions get stirred. And when your emotions get stirred, it's harder to control emotions than it is thought. Because now you're wading into the deeper water. You can push back on it and keep it as a thought. And that is not, that's just simply temptation. You're tempted to act. To attempt to do some, but when it becomes chemical in your body, emotions are stirred, feelings are, you will have bad behavior. And bad behavior is the result of unchecked emotions because you do not check your mind in to the Word of God. There is a solution to this, but it's going to take self control. And self control has to have a, a discipline to it. You got to, when the thought comes to your mind, you put it to rest. Because you know what's going to happen if you entertain it with your emotions. And if you entertain it with your emotions, you're suddenly going to be doing it and you're going to have regrets everywhere. It's easier to have a thought in your brain than it is to have your thought expressed against somebody else. So when Yeshua says, pray this, lead us not into temptation, or you do not lead us into temptation. But we do. You're led into temptation every time your thought becomes a feeling. Every time. You're, that's where temptation takes its root in your heart that's deceitful. And because your heart's deceitful, our heart is deceitful, we suddenly believe that we're right. Because deceit tells us we are right when we are wrong. The Yetzer Hara. That's the power of it in us. The evil inclination. So we're taught to pray, deliver us from ourselves, from evil, the evil heart. It's a very Jewish prayer, but it's a prayer for everyone of all the nations, for every human being. And it calls on God to help us in our weaknesses. When the beast within us 
is about to devour us. I worry less about Satan devouring us than me devouring myself. The beast within us, Cain and Abel. You know, you know the story, chapter 4 of Genesis, what happened. Cain became enraged from thought to feeling against his brother Abel because Abel's sacrifice was, was honored by God and his was not because it was offered wrong, not the best nor the first as Abel's was. He became jealous, he became bitter, there became dissension, there became hatred. All the chemicals of emotions flourished his brain and, and, and came out in his feelings, and his feelings were acted upon, and he murdered his brother. But before he did it, I'm going to show you something in the scriptures that's very profound. Let me turn to it, just read it to you exactly as it says, without paraphrasing it. In Genesis chapter 3, I'm chapter 4, I mean. Here's what it says. The Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? That tells me thought has gone to feelings. It's gone to seed. Why is your face downcast? That means he's sullen. His emotions are taking over his countenance. If you do what is right, the Lord says, will you not be accepted? Cain, it's not about your offering. It's about doing what you know is right. And if you just do what is right, you will be accepted. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, to devour you, but you must master it. It's the beast within, not the beast outside. It's not the lion coming down the street out of the jungle. It's not Satan roaring like a lion because you can resist him and he'll flee from you. What it is, is the lion inside of you, the tiger inside of you, the animal inside of you, the beast inside of you. People are so worried about the mark of the beast, what it looks like. I said, I'm, I'm concerned about it too, but not the way you are. I'm concerned about the mark of the beast of my heart. Putting an imprint upon my emotions and feelings to act evil in this world. The spirit of Antichrist has always been with us. Still is in the world today. The spirit of Antichrist is the beastly instinct of the human nature. At large. And surely one day it'll be expressed fully in flesh in one human being, but he'll be the manifestation of all of us. And the whole world will worship him. In league with him. So, what's happening? Fundamentally, there's going to be two changes. One, and this is good for those online as well as those here today. First becomes second born. You need a new heart. And the old heart is failing you. As some say, be born again. Just as you were born the first time, as a once in a lifetime experience, so is the second birth. An entirely spiritual birth that changes you from the powers of death to the power of life 
in the Messiah, Yeshua, in Jesus. How can you be born the second time? It isn't as complex as it sounds. The first time you were, you were born was by the power of flesh of your mom and dad. The second time you were born is by the power of trust, of faith in the Messiah, Yeshua, in Jesus. He becomes your elder brother. And if he becomes your elder brother by faith, what does that make you? No longer the firstborn. You're second to him, second born in God's sight. Once you become second born through faith in him, confessing your sins to him and repenting of the direction you were heading in life, you take the next step. Actually, the, this step is called a walk, a way to walk through life. So first become second born so that you may begin to walk in the spirit and not after the firstborn flesh. Walk in the Spirit. Be transformed by the transforming of your mind on a daily basis. Tame the beast within you. First thing in the morning, in the daytime, and the last thing in the evening. Tame the beast in you. How? By walking not after the beastly instincts of the flesh, but walking in the Spirit of God. Therefore, Paul says, I urge you, I urge you. There's a good word, that urge. Remember that, that Yetzirah is an urge. He says, I urge you. This is an urge to do good. I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy offering acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service to God. And do not be conformed to this world, which is a world of evil, of hatred, of dissension, of all the evil, discord, and all the things that happen. Do not be conformed to it. Do not be like it. Do not imitate the news. Do not imitate political leaders. Their lives are not worthy of your, of your imitating them. They are worthy of salvation. They are worthy of God's love but they're not worthy for you to imitate. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, 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 the inclination to good, and acceptable and perfect, the majestic. So when you pray, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, you pray, Father, forgive me of my ways that lead towards evil behavior. Instead, deliver me from the inner compulsion, the inner power to act on my evil thoughts. Deliver me from those restless, hurtful, harmful feelings that act out in so many unwholesome ways. By living out your second-born life, transformed by the renewing of your mind in the Messiah, by His Spirit, you can conclude the believer's prayer with this majestic word. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. For you have delivered me from myself. Amen. Amen. For you are watching from afar, from your room. I say to you, it's not complex. It's an easy matter for you to choose life. But that life must be 
in God and to have the life that God intends for you, you should confess that you are out of control. You cannot really control your feelings on your own. You'll find that out if you don't know it already. But I, I, I urge you to consider doing the right thing, and that is to offer yourself to God through faith, through trust in the Messiah Jesus in Yeshua to heal your heart, to restore you, to transform it in his name. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. we just need a moment to simmer just need to simmer on simmer you will bow your heads wherever you are at home and simmer on it put your hand on your own heart and just tell him my heart, my heart 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 it's not the devil it's me <laughs> beast within. Woo! So myself and Best Ron were driving back from the airport last night. We were talking about this. The man that Jesus was talking to, talking about the two men. One came into the temple and said, I do this. I tied. I... I, I worship you. I do all of these things. And they were all good things. And in keeping with what you said, Pastor Ed, I could not escape the fact that all the other guy said was put his head in his lap. And he said, Have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Could asking God for mercy be the thing that opens the door to God's blessing rather than actually asking Him for a blessing? Yes. How much time have you spent asking God to bless me, to 
open this door and open that door and all he wants to do is give you mercy and mercy will translate to blessing would you stand with me this morning mm. thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus would you close your eye and just lift that hand and thank God for mercy you're at home you're listening God have mercy on me my heart my heart my heart it's deceitful it's not the devil it's me the beast is in me I lay the beast before you I lay my beast before you I confess my sin cleanse my heart tame the beast with your blood Woo. tame the beast with your blood tame my beast with your blood Jesus come on come on just to I know we're over 12 15 but but we've got a minute or two left here tame the beast within me father I lay my beast before you oh God father we thank you this morning for your word for your word for your word for your word for the servant of God that was used this morning not only to give but give us logos the written word but to expand our minds with rhema revealed words spiritually breaking your word and speaking rhema word to us God we thank you for your healing of our minds healing of our spirits delivering of our emotions breaking down the beast within us and making us more like you would you agree with me in this reach out and thank god for mercy receive mercy lord we receive mercy as we close this service out we receive your mercy we receive your grace we confess everything that is unlike you and we receive mercy we apply your blood to every part of us and receive your mercy we apply your blood to every part of us and we receive mercy lord if you are online you've listened to the word of god this morning and you understand at this moment that you have not allowed christ the son of god to tame the beast that is your heart i want to open the door for you this morning and let you know that god wants his son jesus to come into your life and to transform you would you say the prayer with me dear father i come to you in the name of your son jesus asking for your help confessing my own sin putting my heart before you and admitting my rebellion.
Dear Jesus, come in. Transform me. I believe that you are able to wash me with your blood. I receive that washing. I receive that cleansing. I receive that purging. And I declare you Lord of my life again. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Would you give God a high praise this morning as we close out? Hallelujah. 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 Father, we thank you for your goodness that was shared with us. For the goodness that has passed before us, that continues to pass before us. Thank you for your word this morning that took us to a place of repentance. Thank you for your servant, Pastor Ed Nelson, that followed the leading of the Holy Spirit and delivered with boldness a word that challenges us to put the beast in us under the control of the Lord Jesus Christ and be delivered by the renewing of our minds. We give you glory and honor and praise for everything that you've done in this service and that you will continue to do as we submit ourselves to you. Touch every person online that is tuned in and speak to them even after the broadcast goes off. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Any person that would like a copy of the message you've got online, you can get it online. It's recorded there. It's on YouTube and it's on our website. But if you want a CD, you can also get that directly from us, from those of us who want a CD. For those of us online, uh, if you can, let us know that you've made a commitment to Christ today, that you have asked him to come into your heart. Send us a reply online and we will follow up with you because we want to see you grow in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Wednesday night we will be back online. And for those of you who can show up with the same rules of engagement, mass, uh, sanitizing, we will be in the fellowship hall, live streaming, and the word of God will come forward. God bless you. We love you. Have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you. Hallelujah. Give God a hand as you greet each other, wave to each other. Amen. God bless you.